Razorbacks fans, welcome to the Hogbeat Hour brought to you by the Rivals Network, ESPN, of course, and hogbeat.com, the Arkansas site in the Rivals Network. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson, your team and recruiting reporters and baseball reporters, and we cover everything over at Hogbeat, so go check it out. Uh, today we are starting, of course, with basketball. Uh, the season is rapidly approaching its end and uh, I I'm not ready for it uh, <laughs> things are things are getting really heated for the Hogs they're on a five game SEC streak with uh, ranked Missouri coming in here uh, nope Arkansas going to Missouri on Saturday uh, so it's it's a huge game for them and Missouri's coming off a really bad loss uh, to Ole Miss so uh, very exciting right now yeah, I mean, anytime you can beat Kentucky, you know, even though Kentucky is not Kentucky, uh, that that's a that's a big win, and I know Arkansas fans are feeling good, but this the showdown with Missouri up in Columbia is a, just looms very large because it's another quadrant one opportunity for the Hogs. Uh, they are only have one of those Q one wins right now. If uh, they want to get you know a decent seed or even you know just lock in their position in the NCAA tournament. This is a game that they, they really need to go in there and win, especially as poorly as they played way back, uh, I guess, on January 2nd when these teams first played. The reaction pregame from the fan base and me, I was, I was nervous that Arkansas was going to find a way to lose to the worst Kentucky team that we've seen in decades, uh, but they pulled it out. But just seeing the fan base's reaction pregame – um, it really kind of, I don't know if there's any other fan base that is so like mentally battered, uh, by it's really mostly from the football team. Um, but Arkansas has, uh, in, in basketball this year had a few games where they just totally, uh, you know, didn't show up. So, uh, that mentality, I wonder when it's going to finally break and, and they'll be done with it. It's a very damaged fan base, Nikki. <laughs> they, they have been hurt uh, many, many times. You know, obviously they won the national championship in 94 in basketball, but just the program as a whole across all sports. I mean, you mentioned football. And, you know, as good as baseball has been, you know, they were an out away from winning a national championship and it all just fell apart. And uh, basketball, they've, they've been on the precipice of getting back to like the Sweet 16 and only to have bad things happen. You know, the North Carolina blown calls a few years back comes to mind. And it's just one of those things for Arkansas fans, they've, they've come to expect the worst and uh, are just kind of pleasantly surprised when the worst doesn't unfold. So uh, I don't know if that'll ever change. Uh, I mean, even you know during the game, I was texting you when Arkansas was up by 12 points with six minutes left, I said, I still have zero confidence that they're going to win this game. And lo and behold, they almost blew it. I mean, they gave up the lead with 14 seconds left. And luckily Jalen Tate saved the day with, you know, getting the rebound and making the clutch free throws. But it looked like they were going to blow yet another game against Kentucky, similar to last year, whenever, you know, Arkansas was up. I don't think it was up as by 12. I think they may have been up by like six or something like that when John Calipari got ejected from Bud Walton. And it was like one of the loudest, probably one the loudest I've heard Bud Walton in a long, long time. And you're thinking, oh boy, this is Arkansas is getting ready to get rolling. And this is going to be a special year only for Kentucky to, to rally, come back and, and hand Arkansas a loss. So uh, it's just one of those things. You, as If you've been around this program long enough, you've, you've come to expect the worst. The ending for me, it's like I feel like we we usually see Arkansas on the end of having to um, get the final points, but not but they're usually the ones having to foul and sending guys to the free throw line and then having to make the big shot. So luckily this time Arkansas was able to you know drive down there and get the foul. Jalen Tate was phenomenal in his composure uh he's been here before so he he knows what it takes to make those shots and, and he knocked them down with ease um but it, it just 
it felt good to not be on the end where you're like you're the team that needs to make that final shot or it's over um, and, and then Devo, uh, Devo obviously coming out and getting that steal and not even letting Kentucky have an attempt was incredible yeah it was definitely an exciting finish and and you can't say enough about Jalen Tate I mean that is a incredibly tough spot I know now, one reason that I always tell people, one reason I'm not able to be a, a college or a professional athlete, one, aside from the athleticism, is because I would be so puckered up in that situation. I would be so nervous. I wouldn't be able to handle the pressure. Uh, but, you know, Jalen Tate, he's like a 61% career f- uh, free throw shooter, goes up there. He's already made three of three in the game. So, I mean, statistically, you think that he missed both, uh, but he went up there and and drained him just very calmly and it didn't didn't look like he was nervous at all I mean he was kind of smiling and, and you know you could tell his teammates were, were keeping him loose and you know did it you know before a timeout and then come back after a timeout didn't let it ice him so I just think we we can't say enough about the job that that he did knocking those free throws down the only people who understand the kind of pressure Jalen Tate was under are kickers and uh, soccer players, when they take penalty kicks at the end of the game, not during the game, but those are important as well. But, you know, when you, have a, when you have a shootout, I guess they have that in hockey as well. But that kind of pressure, knowing the ball leaving my hand or my foot is going to be the difference between winning and losing. Um, I think kickers have a really – hard time with this sometimes but uh, the uh, muscle memory that comes into um, shooting uh, a, a free throw or uh, kicking a penalty kick once you do it enough um, I think that it becomes very automatic and so having Jalen Tate be the one to take those was so important yeah you wouldn't have wanted probably a you know I, I don't know if I'd want a Devo Davis at the free throw line or Jalen Williams, you know, one of the freshmen, you know, I, I think I'd be okay with Moses Moody uh, taking him just because he's so, so good. Uh, but, you know, having a guy that's, that's been in college, this is his fifth year. He's spent four years at Northern Kentucky. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's been there, done that. I don't know if he's ever had a game winning last second free throws like he, like he did in against Kentucky, but uh, he's, he's been in those pressure situations before and uh, seemed like it didn't really bother him at all. One of my favorite things about that game against Kentucky was it wasn't just up to a few of the Razorbacks to go out and win this game. Every single player had to contribute. Um, And the turnover number, what was it, six? Six turnovers. That was incredible after that disgusting game versus Mississippi State. That Mississippi State game was awful. I mean, I think they had six turnovers in the first, like, four minutes in that game. It was awful, and so uh, for them to come out and play so well and from top to bottom, I mean, you got a guy like Vance Jackson who has seen his playing time dwindle in recent weeks, and he goes out there, knocks down a big three-pointer, had another bucket, he had five points, and he had another three-pointer he took where I thought it was an excellent play where he pump faked, got an open look, and it did everything but fall. I mean, he went halfway down the rim and popped out. Uh, you know, how, how different would that look if he had made that shot? He had eight points. So uh, it was uh, just a total team effort, as you said. Everybody, everybody that played scored. Uh, everybody grabbed a couple of rebounds except for Desi, which he was playing with a hurt shoulder, uh, which props to him for even playing. That He did not look like he was uh, going to be able to play for a while whenever he went down and got hurt. That missing Yeah, state. Tate got four turnovers, which I don't think, like, three of those were on him. I remember distinctly two of them, like Desi, like tried to reach for him and like, I don't know, maybe because of his arm, like he just couldn't get there or just couldn't react fast enough. So I think it's so unfair that those have to get credited to Tate because he had a good game. Yeah, Must likes to talk about that all the time. There was a game where he had, I think, six turnovers credited to him. And one of them, I remember the play distinctly. He was trying to throw a pass down to Connor Vanover in the lane and Connor Vanover had it in his hands, but deflected off his hands and went out of bounds. And, like, that's tough to give that to, to Jalen Tate. But I guess when you're a point guard, that's kind of the risk you run. It's just like a quarterback, you know. If you have an incomplete pass, like, it shows up as an incomplete pass, whether or not it hit the receiver in the hands or not. So, uh, just one of those tough, tough uh, statistical anomalies, I guess you could say. 
Moses Moody had, I believe, 14 and seven. Uh, a big, big night on the boards for him. One of his biggest in SEC play. Jalen Williams had seven boards as well. Um, and I think his nine points were the most since the season opener. So it is a fantastic time to have these freshmen uh, playing at the level that they're playing. And it's unfortunate that KK isn't with them. Uh, we saw a photo from, I think, one of the Arkansas trainers, and he's he's rehabbing and, and working hard. So I'm sure he's still doing his thing. But the, the three that can actually play, I mean, the timing couldn't be better uh, because they're entering a, a tough stretch here with Missouri, Florida, and then you have, I think, Alabama and LSU coming up again or something like that. So really tough stretch right before the tournament. It is a tough stretch. And, and they really, as I said earlier, need to get some quadrant one wins. Uh, I believe I haven't checked the net rankings today, but if assuming nothing else has really changed drastically, Arkansas is one and five in quadrant one games with the one win being at Auburn. Uh, and then uh, they're undefeated in their Q2, Q3, and Q4 games. And that's what's kind of kind of lifting them up. I think they're in the 20s right now in the net rankings. It's a good spot. Uh, but if you're going to get a decent seed in the NCAA tournament, you need to have a few more uh, Q1 wins. And, and so hope, ideally, if you're Arkansas, and this is going to go against everything Arkansas fans believe, you probably want to root for Kentucky a little bit down the stretch because if Kentucky can – I think they're like 80th right now in the net rankings. If they could bump up to 75th or higher, then that becomes a Q2 win or a Q1 win for Arkansas. So uh, lots of movement can happen still. Uh, but, you know, to, make, to be safe, you might as well go ahead and either you know, beat at Missouri, beat Alabama – beat LSU, although LSU right now is a, a Q2 opportunity for Arkansas because they've kind of uh, fallen off a cliff lately. So it's going to be an interesting stretch of basketball for sure. I think I saw earlier today that the Texas A&M-Florida um, game is postponed on Saturday, which means Arkansas gets Florida coming off fresh a week off of games. That's it's infuriating. And then also Texas A&M, why, why are they still playing? I don't even know why. I, it doesn't make any sense because you're going to get to the end of the season. You're not going to be able to participate in the tournament by any means because you're not going to have the number of games that you need to be considered. It's just how, how have they had such a hard time with this when Arkansas has been able to play every single game except the one that obviously the Aggies couldn't show up for? Yeah, I mean, for Arkansas, I think it has to do with the players have already had it, and so they've got the immunity or whatever, and uh, I don't want to get all into the science of everything, but that's kind of how Arkansas has avoided postponements from their end. Now, what I don't understand is how you could have a team like Kentucky, for example, where they had COVID issues, and they had to cancel their big, big 12 SEC matchup with Texas, but then they were able to play two or three days later in their next game. Texas A&M has missed like four games in a row. So I don't know if it's like just going around from one person to the next person and like everyone just having to reset their quarantine clock or what, but it's just, it's, it's going to be a disaster when it comes to SEC tournament time. Cause you, you, there's only the one kind of open spot to make up games and you're going to have games like Texas A&M, South Carolina, Vanderbilt that have missed three, four games and there's, there's not enough time to make any of those up. And how are you going to prioritize? Like Arkansas may get through the season, and that Texas A&M game is the only SEC game they missed. Well, they shouldn't they have to, to play it. it. I, I don't but think they should have to play it. I think what they're going to do, this is just a hunch, I think they're going to prioritize the teams that had multiple games canceled. Like, so, for example, Texas A&M and Vanderbilt, I'm pretty sure they were supposed to play twice this year, and both games were canceled. Once because of Vanderbilt issues, and then, uh, again, because of A&M issues. I bet they are the teams that play on that Saturday before the SEC tournament. It's kind of a makeup date uh, just to kind of get another data point in. Or I saw someone suggest this on the message board. Uh, if you have like a, so like say, for example, Arkansas and Missouri are half a game separated in the SEC standings. And you can maybe make up a game that would help clear that up where you're not going against, you know, going with just a, uh, you know, the percentage 
you know, just because they played more games and had an opportunity to win more games, they get the higher seed. Like, if it impacts the seeding, maybe they make it up that way. But my guess is they'll make up the, the, for the teams that have had the most games canceled. One of my favorite things from this Kentucky matchup, you know, Arkansas broke an eight-game losing streak to the Wildcats. But uh, as I do, I was on the Kentucky message boards uh, the, the night before the game, checking out what they were saying. Uh, they've had a tough season, so there wasn't a lot of, you know, bulletin board material that I could find. But there were a lot of Kentucky fans sharing memories of you know like the good old days when Arkansas was just right up there with Kentucky and consistently competing and it sounds like they miss that they miss having a team at the top of the conference with them that can make it a little bit more entertaining yeah I I don't blame them I think it's good for the conference when Arkansas is good and when Kentucky's good I mean it's fun to to pick on Kentucky and kick them while they're down Uh, but SEC basketball is this year it's kind of mediocre. I mean, even Alabama, you know, is leading the conference, but they're not super great. And I think Missouri is ranked 10th in the conference right now. But as you said, they got blown out by Ole Miss. They won't be ranked 10th uh, next week. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's uh, – it's, it, there, there were some great games, though. I mean, even games before my time – uh, when or whenever I was too young to really remember it. I mean, there were some classic games. You know, Scotty Thurman hitting a game winner on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, some classic showdowns in the SEC tournament. Uh, you had uh, more recently the Michael Qualls dunk game, which is to this day one of the most exciting basketball games or exciting basketball finishes I've ever seen in li- uh, live in person. Uh, so, yeah, there, there have been some classic games, and, and hopefully uh, – Arkansas is trending in the right way. Hopefully Kentucky can kind of get it back on track and we'll see some more of those classic showdowns in the years to come. I saw our Kentucky site publisher, Justin Rowland. He tweeted as I guess historic and interesting as it is that teams like Kentucky and North Carolina, I think, you know, the blue bloods, Kansas, as, as interesting as it, is, as it is that they're not ranked, what does it take away from March Madness if those teams aren't included? Are people less interested? Or would one argue that because there's more parity and it's more, um, you know, chances for your team to potentially ascend to the top instead of one of those teams, will there be more people interested this year? You know, I agree with Justin. It, it is probably going to hurt the viewer ratings and stuff like that for the NCAA tournament because there are so many casual, quote-unquote, fans of Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas. Are there? Yeah, because, I mean, they, they just they, – they, they say they're fans of them just because they always win, and so that's who they, they root for. And if, they're, if those big brands aren't in the NCAA tournament, you're probably not going to get as many – uh, casual viewers or anything like that. Now you're always going to have the diehards. Like I'm still going to be watching the NCAA tournament, you know, whether or not Arkansas makes it and I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it because it's one of the best sporting events out there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it's different this year with it all being in Indianapolis and crowds are going to be lower and it's, it's going to be weird, uh, but it's still the NCAA tournament. You're still going to have fantastic finishes and upsets and things that make it great. But uh, if you look back historically, the the final fours that have the best ratings are the ones that have the blue blood, you know, type teams in it. You know, Loyola, Chicago, or whatever is a great story, but they're not going to draw super big eyeballs because no one's ever really heard of them. And so it's the same thing. You see it in pro sports. I mean, there's a reason, you know, you want the the Yankees and the Dodgers in the World Series compared to the Tampa Bay Rays and the Toronto Blue Jays. Obviously, those are in the same division, but you get the picture. You, you don't want – you want the big market teams in the, in the World Series or in the Super Bowl or NBA Finals because they draw the most eyeballs uh, when it comes to in, uh, the ratings, and, and that equals more money and makes everybody happy. This year for the Super Bowl, there was an interesting phenomenon because, because of Tom Brady being on the Bucks there were the second biggest Super Bowl watching market was the Boston area. 
And I think both they wanted to see what Tom Brady did. And two, it's almost it's almost a habit for uh, people in that area to watch the Super Bowl, right? Because they're in it like every other year. Uh, so maybe maybe that'll be the same situation with Kentucky and Kansas fans. Like they're not not gonna watch the Final but, Four. And if you look at it though, the ratings for the Super Bowl were the lowest since like 2007. Oh, I didn't see and, that part. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 they they were really bad, really low ratings. And look who was in the the Super Bowl: Kansas City and Tampa. Not the biggest markets, and even though there were tremendous storylines and. Art, I mean, it was you had the goat Tom Brady going against you know the future goat in Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it, it was a fantastic. I mean, so many storylines, but even then, you didn't have as many people just kind of casually tuning in as you would maybe if it was you know the New York Giants or you know Los Angeles Rams or someone like that. The Razorbacks uh, named their four captains for the season. Uh, were you surprised by any of those? And, and what stands out to you about those four guys? Yeah, nothing nothing too surprising. I mean, two of them were captains last year in Casey Opitz and Kevin Copps. Uh, See, so those guys are kind of natural uh, captains for this year as well. And then the other two that are new are Christian Franklin and Zebulon Vermillion. Uh, I'm not, you know, Christian Franklin makes total sense because I mean, he's preseason All-SEC, preseason All-American. Uh, just a, a, he seems like a good dude, good teammate. So not not very surprising. If I had to pick, you know, the three captains beforehand, I probably would have gone with Opitz, uh, Cops, and Franklin. Uh, but with if they're going to throw in a fourth, Zebulon Vermillion makes sense. He's a guy. He's he's in his fourth year at Arkansas. Uh, probably would have gone uh, and been drafted last year, kind of like Opitz had it been a normal year. Uh, but he's back, and he's going to be a key key pitcher for Arkansas, whether that be as a starter or a reliever or a closer or whatever role it may be. Uh, he's going to be a, a vitally important piece for, for Arkansas. You put together the Hogbeat composite poll. So how are the Hogs looking? Yeah, so, I mean, Arkansas is a top-10 team in three of the six uh, pre, uh, major college baseball polls. And because there are six of those, I put them all together and – create one single poll and in that poll Arkansas is 12th which I think is probably about right for the Hogs. Uh, we still don't know you know it's a, from a week from Friday is the first game and I still have absolutely no idea who's going to be in the rotation. I mean I feel like Lyle Lockhart is going to be one of the starters but other than that I don't know what day he's going to start. I don't know who the other starters are going to be and there's still like six or seven guys that that could take those spots. And so it's uh, going to be going to be interesting to see how it how it plays out. But um, I think 12th in the preseason with those kind of question marks as as far as the starting pitchers is, is pretty fair. How does the season start out and do they have like some some nice matchups to get things worked out? Well, they jump right into it uh, with the uh, State Farm College Baseball Showdown, I believe is what they're calling it. But it's a big-time event at Globe Life Field in Arlington and the, the Rangers' new ballpark. Uh, they are going to be playing Texas Tech, Texas, and TCU the first three games of the season. Uh, those teams are, are ranked very high. Uh, let's see, Texas Tech is third nationally in the composite. Texas is 13th and TCU is 15th. Those are top 10 teams and you know, some of the polls it is a loaded, loaded event. So they're going to get tested right away. Uh, but then the schedule kind of goes back to normal and you have some, some easier matchups after that. Uh, but uh, not, not going to be easy for whoever the starters are because those are some very, very good teams. When Dave Van Horn does these press conferences do you get a good sense of how he feels about the team or is it like you know Sam Pittman saying he he thinks the guys have done great work and blah 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 like how how honest is his tone and how much can you take away Dave Van Horn is much more similar to an Eric Musselman than a Sam Pittman in that you do get a sense based on his tone and everything uh, that he's he's telling you the truth and I feel like he's confident I feel like he feels that there are enough bats in the lineup that they're going to be able to to hit and, and put up runs uh, but I also get the feeling that he honestly doesn't know who the starters are but I don't get a sense of panic 
Uh, it seems like he he's confident there are enough arms there. It's just a matter of figuring out which roles each guy has. Uh, so I I feel like he's he's kind of confident and he feels like this is going to be a good team. Uh, but I think he's to the point where he wants to get into some actual real games so he can actually get that stuff sorted out. Uh, and he, he's even been acknowledged and admitted that it may take four weeks into the season before they get it figured out, which they can get it figured out in the first four weeks. That's key because that's the start of the uh, SEC play. Did they have any like coaching staff changes or anything between no. that last season? No, they, they, the only real change, I mean, they, they still have Nate Thompson and Matt Hobbs as the two full-time assistants. Uh, they did make a change as far as the volunteer assistant. College baseball is very weird. You mm -hmm. only get two full-time assistants. Uh, been, a, been a push for a third, but uh, they, they brought in Bobby Wernis as the new uh, volunteer assistant replacing, I believe it was Taylor Smart. Uh, but Bobby Warnes is a name Arkansas fans remember. He played here, was a very, very good defensive third baseman, probably the best third, defensive third baseman I remember playing for the Hogs. And he could also swing the bat a little bit. And, uh, he's managed in the minor leagues. He's still, still pretty young. Uh, been a manager at some like rookie level type uh, ball, and but he's coming back to coming back to Fayetteville to be a volunteer assistant. That's really the biggest kind of notable staff change uh, from last year's team to this year. Uh, guys, Hutch is working on a, a comprehensive breakdown of all 14 SEC baseball teams. It's tough work, but with the Rivals Network, you know, we're able to go around and, and get the expertise from, from guys around the network who know their teams really well. So stay tuned on Hogbeat. You can get 30 days free, code H-A-W-G-S-30. So you can check out those baseball previews and be ready for when the season starts very, very soon. Uh, like nine days away right so uh go get ready for that um back to basketball the hogs are on the road it's hard to tell looking at the standings but the five game streak arkansas is on that's that's the longest one in the sec right now right i believe so i don't know that for certain i think so seems like something i read on twitter so it has to be right <laughs> Uh, Arkansas is 15 and five, uh, seven and four in the conference. Uh, we looked at some bracketology this week on the site and uh, look at ESPN plus and stuff like that. And they are solidly, solidly in there, like nine, 10 seed. Like they're, they're, they need to have a strong finish to the season. That's for sure. But they're right there in there. Yeah, I think they're, they're in, in there right now, but, I, I don't know if I would say they're solidly in there yet because Fine. they're just a loss or two away. Just, you know, I, I remember, you know, Arkansas fans remember this back in 2014. That's when Arkansas last beat Kentucky. They beat Kentucky twice that year uh, with the Qualls dunk here in Fayetteville. And then they also won, that was an overtime game. And they also won an overtime game at Rupp. And I think uh, some people, national media, like, were like, all right, Sharpie, Arkansas uh, in the tournament. Well, then they didn't anticipate that Arkansas would promptly go on the in the year with just atrocious losses. I'm getting them pulled up right now. They lost to uh, at Alabama by like 15, 25 points, something like that. Just got blown out. And then they also lost to South Carolina in the first game of the SEC tournament. Those back-to-back -back losses knocked them out of the NCAA tournament. Uh, Arkansas is not quite to a point where they could – sustain a couple of those losses and still make the tournament so that's why I'm saying they need to take care of business they need to pull out you know one or two of the games against Missouri LSU Alabama in order to make me feel very confident that they're going to be dancing in March. Missouri has had quite a week they beat um, Alabama and then they went to Ole Miss and lost by almost 30. Uh, so actually 21 I think so not almost 30 but just a, a very up and down game for them I read Quanzo Martin's uh, takes after the game and he just said that he didn't feel like they played with very much energy they were getting out rebounded um, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily something that he's worried about but he didn't like their defensive efforts and just in general how they played so uh, not sure that 
that sets them up to have another bad game against Arkansas. I have a feeling they're going to bounce back pretty well. Um, and this is a rematch opportunity for Arkansas. They lost to Missouri um, a few weeks back, um, 78, nope, 81 to 68. Arkansas was out-rebounded. They were terrible uh, in layups. What was that stat, Hutch? Three of 23 on layups. It, it was unbelievable to watch. It, you, it really was like there was something on the basket. Like, I'm not usually one that's superstitious like that, but it, it, they were fine attempts, and they just were not rolling in Arkansas's direction. It was so horrible. Um, so really huge opportunity for them to redeem themselves this week. And another thing to remember about that game was it was the first game Justin Smith missed with his right, injury. Right, yeah. He had, he had surgery the day before, uh, so he was out. And you just, I just feel like if, if they had Justin Smith's presence in the, in the interior of the defense and just, just out there on the court, that they would have played a lot better. Now, would it have been enough to win? I don't know. I, I would like to think so because they did shoot like 28 or 29%. Surely they would have been better with Justin Smith out there. They would have rebounded better. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's a big opportunity for Arkansas and I would imagine that they're going to be fired up to get this opportunity because of how poorly they played that first time around. Moses Moody was the only one, um, who had a big game out of the starters last time against Missouri. So expect him to do the same, but, uh, JD Note also had 19 in that game, but Again, having Justin Smith back is huge because I remember after that game, Eric Musselman seemed like totally out of answers. And then obviously um, they kind of got it together a little bit more and then he came back. So it wasn't too bad, but definitely a big opportunity for Arkansas with their full healthy roster. Hopefully Desi after um, even more days off is, is healthier than he was against Kentucky because I think they're going to need, you know, all hands on deck for this one. Yeah, for sure. And Desi's a guy that's probably really looking forward to this game as well. If you remember, he went one of 10 and, and missed all four of his three pointers in this game uh, back in January. So if, if there's anybody that's really looking forward to him and, and Connor Vanover as well, Vanover went 0 of 11, uh, including 0 of 5 from three point land. So those two guys combined, one of 21, I bet they're looking forward to, to having a chance to write that uh, this time around. Hutch, we had a chance to meet on Zoom with the four new Razorback assistants. Uh, there were a lot of questions about these guys. A lot of young guys brought in to take over for some guys with a, a little bit more SEC Power 5 experience. So, it was good to get to know them a bit before spring football starts. Um, I think they're looking for a, a tentative mid-April spring game. So we're honestly not too far away from those practices beginning. Um, Sam Pittman was super complimentary of his four new hires. I'll start with Cody Kennedy, the, the tight ends coach. If there was any doubt in anybody's mind before Sam Pittman introduced him I think he's done a good job of getting rid of that doubt you can definitely see why Sam Pittman is so drawn to Cody Kennedy after talking to him I mean you someone made this comment and I completely agree you could tell me that Cody Kennedy was Sam Pittman's son and I would 100% believe it I mean he, he's kind of a he's a bigger dude obviously he's a former offensive lineman he's coached offensive line so he's kind of got that stereotypical offensive line look uh, but he's just got the same kind of personality uh, same kind of uh, southern uh, I don't know the way to put it but like he, he's got that that accent and and he you could just tell like okay this is this is a guy that he loves football you could tell he's he loves people and just kind of has that same same personality as Sam Pittman. And, and yeah, I can see why they meshed well when they were together at Georgia back in, I believe it was 20, what was it, 2018, whenever he was a graduate assistant for the Bulldogs uh, under Sam Pittman with the offensive line. And you know, Sam Pittman, he, he, he mentioned the whole, you know, moving from offensive line to tight end. He said that he did that himself 
uh, when he was at Cincinnati, I believe, back in the 90s. And he said he learned a lot from it, and it was a very valuable experience for him. And that it sounds like he's trying to do the same thing uh, for Cody Kennedy. And, and I don't know how long Cody Kennedy will be here, if he'll want to move on and be an offensive line coach somewhere. I know some people have talked about him uh, being groomed into a potential replacement for Brad Davis if he ever leaves. Uh, but he's definitely a guy that is a, uh, a hand-picked guy from Sam Pittman, and I think that goes a long way whenever it comes to the coaching profession. Another thing that came up, and Cody Kennedy didn't take any um, credit for it, but Sam Pittman did say the offensive lineman that he recruited when he was at Georgia and he got credit for, Cody Kennedy was right behind him recruiting those guys as well, creating those relationships. So I have a feeling that he's going to do a pretty good job. And it is going to be tough. Offensive linemen, I mean, at every position, when you are bringing in these young coaches, players want to hear about the players that you put into the NFL. That is one of the most impressive resume points that you can uh, recruit kids with. So he might have trouble there. But having Sam Pittman right there behind him with all that, that entire list of NFL prospects, I think that you know, while it might be tough to sell a tight end, a lot of tight ends know that you need to be a good blocker uh, to be successful. So, um, I don't know. I think I think it could work out. And plus, it's a position in Arkansas that has had a lot of success recently, that has several guys that have gone on. And, you know, you've got a couple of Mackey Award winners and DJ Williams and uh, Hunter Henry, but you also have guys like Chris Gragg and uh, you know, Jeremy Sprinkle, uh, even Cheyenne O'Grady for all the off-field issues he had. He was still a very talented and productive tight end. So you, you do have a little bit of history to recruit to, and that's something that Cody Kennedy also said that he's looking forward to doing. We had already heard from people who had both covered Kenny Guyton and then um, associated with him as reporters when Guyton was at Houston and such. But um, it sounds like everyone knew he was going to be a coach and they knew he was going to be successful. So what were your impressions of talking to the new wide receivers coach? Yeah, I mean, Cody Kennedy was my favorite guy to talk to during the interviews. And if you haven't gone and, and watched those interviews, I, I strongly encourage you to go to our uh, YouTube page, uh, the Hogbeat YouTube page, and watch those. Uh, but Kenny Guyton was right there behind him. Kenny Guyton, is a, you could tell he's, he's another young guy. Uh, I think he doesn't turn 30 until this summer, I want to say. Uh, so he's still in his 20s, very energetic. Uh, he looks like he could still play uh, if you asked him to. Uh, so he, yeah, I just, I got, I just got a good vibe from him as far as energy and, uh, you know, he's, he's excited to work with this room uh, that he inherits, which is just loaded. Uh, obviously Traylon Burks, Mike Woods, and a bunch of other guys, you know, newcomers coming in. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm anxious to see what he can do with this group and then also what he can do as far as, you know, recruiting wise, because he's got some big shoes to fill. Justin Steph, that was, he was arguably the best recruiter on the staff. Uh, can he fill those shoes and continue to bring in, you know, four-star wide receivers year in, year out? I like the idea of, you know, a former quarterback coaching wide receivers because you, you know exactly what quarterbacks are expecting from the group and he can make sure to instill all that knowledge in them. And I think that's going to be a real positive because I think last year, as awesome as it was to have a great leader like Felipe, I don't think you need to have – the quarterback doing quite as much to direct the receivers and what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, I think um, attention to detail and that kind of stuff needs to be improved at the position. And hopefully Guyton's that guy. They added Jermail Ashley from Tulsa. Um, not going to lie, didn't watch a lot of Tulsa football, but uh, from the way that they are ranked and everything as a defense, it seems like it was only a matter of time before Ashley made the jump. And it does seem like Pittman's taken a bit of a flyer on him. You know, he, he got a recommendation about him. Cody Kennedy had coached against him at Tulane, so he knew what the defensive line presented. Yeah, and Ashley definitely looks the part. I mean, he is a very intimidating figure. Uh, he sat down in front of the Zoom, and you're like, oh, man. This dude looks like he could still play. And I think one of the 
other reporters had pulled up his his weight and, and height height and weight from when he was I believe at Kansas, and it was like six five two eighty or something like that. And they asked him if he was that, and he said, "I haven't been like that in ten years. I think he's gained a little bit weight, but he doesn't look big." He looks like he could be a strength and conditioning coach. For yeah, sure. he really does. Like that, that's a great point. He literally looks like he could be a strength and conditioning coach. And I think that's, I mean, it's a good thing to have as a defensive line coach, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm like you, I'm anxious to see how he can do handle like making the jump. And that was really the big thing that Sam Pittman talked about, uh, not just for Ashley, but also the other three guys is he made these uh, changes with recruiting in mind and, uh, you know, this is another guy. He's from the Dallas area, so maybe another you know guy that can recruit the Dallas area. He's been at Tulsa for what six years, I think. Uh, so he's got the Oklahoma ties, and that's becoming a very more uh, more important area for Arkansas. So uh, I'm I'm anxious to see how how it plays out. He's he was probably the most interesting hire of the group, just because there was no obvious connection. You know, with with Guyton, he had worked with Bryles at Houston with. Uh, uh, Kennedy, he'd worked with Pittman at Georgia, and uh, obviously Michael Scher, who we're getting ready to talk about, he he played for uh, Barry Odom at Missouri. So there's obvious ties with those. This guy doesn't necessarily have that obvious tie, although he uh, coached for Bill Young uh, whenever he was at Oklahoma State as a as a GA, and Bill Young's kind of a well-known defensive coordinator guy and, and uh, Sam Pittman had worked with Bill Young at Oklahoma for a year and so there was kind of a tie there but it was kind of a a second tier tie versus a you know a direct uh, working with a guy kind of, kind of uh, connection there. I think Ashley and Cher are going to have uh, the most pressure on them to you know deliver results in year one under them Share for different reasons. I mean, he returns, you know, Bumper Pool and Grant Morgan. So that's really nice for him. But I think in general, the, the sentiment among the fan base is that the overall linebacker play needs to get better. So a lot of pressure on him. And then Ashley, he's got some pieces, but he also has to replace Jonathan Marshall uh, with someone already on the roster apparently, because it doesn't sound like there's many defensive tackle options out there that they're willing to pursue. And then, you know, you don't get Julius Coates back. So you have some snaps to figure out uh, in the distribution there. And just overall, um, that group has a lot of room for improvement without they, Jonathan Marshall, especially. Yeah, they need to get after the quarterback more. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, technique and you know scheme and that kind of thing matters but you know ultimately it matters you know the jimmies and joes more than the x's and o's as the old saying goes you need players and uh do they have those guys i think there are pieces i mean mateo soli was a four-star recruit zach williams was a high three-star i think even some services had him a, as a four-star eric gregory was a four-star uh, you know, I don't think we've seen the full potential of Dorian Gerald, you know, coming back for another year because uh, he's been hurt. You know, can he stay healthy and finally be the guy that Arkansas thought he was going to be? It's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But uh, they definitely, as you said, have have pieces. Uh, plus, they added the the JUCO uh, transfer a defensive tackle. You think he's going to plug in and, and play and contribute there? Uh, that that would be. Uh, key because as, as you said Jonathan Marshall was so so good last year how are they going to replace him uh, remains to be seen any takeaways from from Cher's interview uh, it was his first time as a as a coach being interviewed and it was funny about halfway through the interview he had to stop it real quick because he I guess he had come straight from a workout he's still working out with the guys uh, and he was sweating and so he had to like dry his face off and get a new shirt and stuff it was pretty pretty funny you could tell he was uh a little bit new and inexperienced with all this stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think he's, he's young. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's the thing I keep coming back to. He's young and he's a guy that hasn't even been a position coach before. I mean, he's been a quality control and a GA for two years. And before that he was working in real estate. So uh, definitely a gamble, but you think that Sam Pittman knows what he's doing considering he had him in the program for a year and that he, speaks the same language, I guess you could say, of Barry Odom 
and is able to you know coach the linebackers exactly how he wants to coach because he played for Barry Odom at Missouri. So uh, it's a it is a gamble, uh, but it's something that I think they are willing to make. It's a calculated risk, and they're not paying them hardly anything compared to other assistant coaches across the SEC. So it's pretty low risk, but uh, we'll see how much reward there is to, to get from it. We are going to hit on recruiting because I was able to catch up with a bunch of in-state prospects over the last two weeks. And, you know, some things are good, some things are bad. <laughs> um, let's start with the guys closest uh, to Arkansas, and that is uh, the Fayetteville duo of Caden Turner and Isaiah Satania. I talked to Satania this week. And while Arkansas is in his top group, he also named um, A&M, Florida State, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Missouri, and Texas A&M, and Oregon, and USC in his top group. So it is very much still um, a full-out recruiting effort for him. Uh, I know that the staff after they completed some in-state virtual visits a couple weeks ago they really started putting the pressure on they want these in-state commits to start uh, they want these in-state prospects to start making commitments um, if you look all over the sec um, lsu has like nine commits um, eight of them are from in-state um, there was another team that i think florida has like seven commits and six of them from are from in-state so all these schools because they can't have in-person visits, they're relying on the kids who have actually visited before to start pulling the trigger. Unfortunately for Arkansas, only two have done that so far, and that's uh, J.J. Hollingsworth over at Greenland and Dax Courtney, the tight end uh, from DeWitt. And both are solid, so that's good news. But um, Satania, he, after talking to him, it's very obvious that he isn't particularly tied to staying in the state. I know fans hate to hear that, but you have to remember he is not an Arkansas native. Uh, they only moved to Fayetteville a couple years ago from Texas. Um, and so he doesn't have the same kind of Razorback fever that a lot of these in-state prospects usually have. So I'm looking out for Oregon where he's been several times because they host the national track championships there every year. So he's been up to Eugene a lot. Uh, Texas A&M, they both have, you know, a great football program and a great track and field program. And he mentioned LSU being a dream offer for him. He doesn't have it yet, but they are obviously a good football team, great track program. So uh, all, these, all these teams want him to do both. Um, and as much as it seemed like he would maybe want to go uh, run track for his dad at Arkansas, as a, who is a coach, it uh, doesn't quite seem like that at the moment. So uh, we'll stay plugged into that. Uh, Caden Turner, the linebacker at Fayetteville, uh, he mentioned to a Kansas State writer this week that he is not particularly uh, – he doesn't think he's going to stay in the state. And that was a big surprise because he is um, an Arkansas legacy, not the football team, but I believe his mom went to the University of Arkansas. So to hear that was surprising. But then um, I heard that Arkansas, you know, put the pressure on him to join the class. And once he didn't, um, I think, you know, they made it clear that they're going to look for other options at linebacker. Um, and it's a really important position of need. So I don't really – um, blame them for doing that because they do need to start, you know, putting a lot of pressure on some other kids to commit. And if the in-state kid isn't going to, then they're kind of going to move on. But it will be sad if two Fayetteville high school kids end up at other programs. Yeah, you just don't see that very often. I mean, it, I guess in recent years, you saw it uh, back in 2017 when Taylor Powell, the quarterback, and Akil Byers, the defensive tackle, both went to Missouri uh, but neither one of those kids were really recruited by Arkansas. Uh, it was very strange they killed Byers recruitment, uh, but neither one of them really w were pursued by the Razorbacks. But other than that, pretty much everybody has come to Arkansas. I mean, you got Ty Clary, Dre Greenlaw, C.J. O'Grady, uh, Brooks Ellis, the Allen brothers, Demetrius Dean, Colby Burnham. I mean, I could go on and on. All of the guys that were FBS Power Five quality 
they've always come to Arkansas pretty much. And so it would be very, very unusual to see two guys, especially if both of them ended up at, at Power Five programs other than Arkansas. Uh, that would be that would be tough, especially since Fayetteville is literally right on campus. Like Fayetteville High School is on the University of Arkansas campus. It's uh, so it would be it would be very unusual. One thing I mentioned um, that Isaiah mentioned was that he wants a wide receiver coach with a nice resume, and as we talked about with these young coaches that Arkansas brought in, they don't have NFL players to pin up. Uh, actually, Ashley does, but the rest don't. And so it's a little tougher to sell, um, especially to someone like Isaiah who hasn't been playing football for very long. He wants someone who's going to use his raw talent and turn it into, you know, an NFL caliber player. He wants to be a, an Olympian in track and an NFL football player. So he needs, he wants a guy with a, a stacked resume of putting receivers in the NFL. And unfortunately, Guyton doesn't quite fall into that category um, just yet. Uh, if you guys want updates on Andrew Chamley, Nico Davillier, and um, James Jointer, you can go find those all on Hogbeat. I'll leave you with one little bit of positivity with recruiting. Um, Quincy McAdoo over at Clarendon. He committed to Florida State a few weeks back. He's a four-star wide receiver um, in the Rivals 250. His recruitment might not be over yet, so just stay tuned on that. Keep watching Quincy McAdoo and uh, forget that he picked <laughs> the Seminoles so early. He's never visited, so I always think there's, you know, a door open uh, for the in-state school to, to make a case. Uh, all right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to the Hogbeat Hour. We will catch you guys next week. Uh, get on the trough with us on Saturday at 3 p.m. for the Missouri game. And uh, have a good weekend.